Welcome to the Teachers on Fire podcast, where I profile agents of growth and transformation in education today. Each guest shares their highs, their lows, their passions, their goals, and the resources that are shaping their thinking and inspiring their practice. For show notes and links from each episode, visit teachersonfire.net. You can also follow the show at Teachers on Fire on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. And of course, please subscribe to the show wherever you listen to podcasts. I'm your host, Tim Cavey. Let's meet today's guest. Today, I am speaking with Jonathan Alzheimer. Jonathan is a family man, keynote speaker, and the author of Next Level Teaching, Empowering Students and Transforming School Culture. You can follow Jonathan on Twitter at Mr. Underscore Alzheimer and on Instagram at Mr. Underscore Alzheimer. Jonathan, I've seen you on Twitter. I've seen your quotes appear on the wall in my staff room, and now I have the privilege of chatting with you in real time. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Are you ready to talk education? Yeah, my man. Appreciate you having me on. Look forward to the opportunity to speak and uh, kind of throw the message out there. And uh, yeah, dude, love it. Appreciate you. Well, I appreciate you, and I'm excited to host you for the last episode of 2019, so this is pretty special. Why don't you start by telling us a little bit more about your current context in education? What does that look like for you on a daily basis? Yeah, my man. Uh, so I'm a middle school teacher at the Fred Lynn Middle School. I teach seventh grade history, and uh, at the same time of being a middle school teacher um, and molding the minds of young kids, you know, I'm also an author, uh, a keynote speaker. I speak... Um, at professional developments, conferences, all that good stuff, but also speak uh, to student assemblies as well. So like I go in and that's one of my big passions is going in and speaking to kids and, you know, kind of gearing them up for the year and, and motivating and inspiring them. And so I'm kind of a guy that's a jack of all trades, so to speak. And uh, I love it. You know, I mean, I get to spend time with kids every single day in the classroom. And then I, I just love, you know, education, every part of it. So I want to impact it as, mess, as best I can. Um, in as many ways as I can. So between speaking to staff, speaking to kids, um, seeing kids on a daily basis in the classroom, working at probably the most famous middle school on the planet um, under the tutelage of uh, the world-renowned Hamish Brewer. You know, I mean, that's pretty awesome. And then uh, on top of that, being author for Dave Burgess Consulting, I mean, what more can you ask for, you know? Absolutely. Well, I mean, I get the privilege of seeing you in action on a regular basis. And, you know, I wasn't necessarily going out of my way to prep for this conversation. But I think in the last week, I've seen you doing push ups with some of your guys. I've seen you. <laughs> yeah. uh, I've seen you playing a tic tac toe there or a bingo rather on the floor of your classroom. That's right. And doing some maybe some rapping or some speaking at an assembly in the gymnasium. So a lot of fun stuff going on. Thank you for sharing it. It's inspiring for sure. But we're going to start the conversation, Jonathan, at story time. So if you would share with us about a low moment or an experience of adversity that you faced somewhere in your teaching education career and describe how you overcame it. Yeah, that's a man. That's a great question, because I think you know, teach anybody that's really honest with themselves can say like, man, like there's definitely been a time or two in my life where I've really had to overcome something great. And I think one thing in education that gets lost in translation is this idea that teachers are these perfect, you know, academic beings, you know? Right. And so for me, I always share this story not to get too deep into it, but man, when I, I was born and bred in education, man, my parents were both teachers and you know, when I was in school, everybody probably thought, man, this kid's probably gonna be a straight A kid. And I probably could have been, but I was a terrible test taker. And Again, you know, a long story short, um, I worked really hard. 
uh, but I struggled on tests, man. I think that's why I relate so well with kids that are, you know, trying to push the envelope and try to be great, but they're, you know, second guessing themselves. And that was, that was me, man. I, I kind of sat behind this facade of um, almost like arrogance or cockiness to hide, to hide the fact that I was really insecure about the fact that I struggled on tests. You know, I was never really the best at anything. Um, except for one thing and that was never giving up. So I think one thing that kind of helped me overcome that was this idea that I was just never going to quit. I was an athlete my whole life. I, I, I'm always a firm advocate and just living life to the fullest. So I did and tried a lot of different things and I continue to do that throughout my life. Um, but one thing I always fall back on is this idea of hard work, rise and grind and just never giving up. And when I got to, when I got to college, I overcame kind of that struggle. I learned how to do a little bit better on tests. You know, I worked really hard everywhere else. I was always the kind kid nice kid. Um, you know, people always love having me in class, but I just struggled, you know? And so when I got into teaching, I think that really helped me mold my teaching philosophy. And I hope that, I think that really helped me kind of connect with my kids because whereas a lot of people see kids and it's not their fault always as like test scores and test data. I always post a lot about that. You know, I see kids as, you know, who they are and where they come from. And I'm just here to help them, you know, kind of rise to the occasion, just get a little bit better. And I think that's my passion and purpose in life amongst a couple of other things is to, I relate well with that kid because that was me. And so I had to overcome that. Um, I, I try to be an encourager to my kids in my classroom. I try to be an encourager to the students I go speak at when I go speak at student assemblies all over the world, you know, tell kids like, you know, you just keep pushing, you know, I can, I can tell you from my example that I've overcome things, you can overcome things too. And if it's not a test score, if it's something else, you can overcome that too. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? And so, and same with teachers too, you know, this is how you should look at your kids when you're in the classroom. And this is how you should maybe respond to them in a way that maybe you didn't think of before, but this is from my experience, this will help you. And so, you know, that's just something that really helped kind of build my, build my relationships with my kids in my classroom. And I continue to spread that message because it was something that I needed when I was a kid. And I always say this, be that teacher that you needed when you were a kid. And so that's me. And that's my, and that's one of my many purposes in life is to try and, um, use my struggles throughout my life. And there's more than just that, that I could go down a laundry list of things that, you know, I've had to overcome in my life, just like everybody else can do the same thing. You know what I mean? But, uh, you know, that struggle for me, um, is something I can share with other people. That last part is such a great message because I think a lot of educators are tempted to sort of replicate the teaching that they saw when they were students. But instead of doing that, let's be that teacher that we wish we had. And it's not to say that all of our teachers were uh, terrible. Far from it. A lot of us had career shaping, inspiring teachers, and that's why we are in the profession. But I love that idea of really taking it to, as you would say, the next level and being that person that that we really needed and wanted when we were going through those same years of education. And by the way, that attitude of never give up, is that ever a perfect fit for, of course, Hamish has got his book Relentless, and you just get a sense that your entire school culture models that so well. Well, let's talk about next level teaching, empowering students and transforming school culture. Tell us why you wrote the book and what do you hope that teachers take away from it? <laughs> Absolutely, man. You know what, dude? I wrote the book for two reasons. I'm going to share one that I don't normally share if that's okay. You know, uh, going back to that whole like overcoming adversity thing. Uh, when I was in school, one of the biggest tests I failed was a language arts test. It was a state test. And one thing most people don't know about me was, you know, we talk about like never giving up and never backing down and overcoming adversity. Like I always said, I'll, like, I'll work harder than everybody in the room. And so I said from basically right around that time in my life, when I, when I kind of got into the world of education shortly after that into college, I was like, man, you know what? 
like I started looking at kind of like what I was being taught and the things I was being taught. And then I jumped into student teaching and I felt like I learned everything in student teaching and not enough at the college level. And then when I jumped into teaching my very first year, I was like, you know what, man, I'm going to write a book. And it was all kind of that same concept of thought, like, you know, what, I'm going to write this book because I got something I want to say. I got to write this book because I got to overcome, you know, in a lot of ways, a demon that kind of was on my shoulders before of, you know, struggling in, in the world of academics and how, how much more of a mic drop or a stamp on that would it be than to write a book? You know, you failed a real important English test. You know, probably people were looking at you like you're going to be, you know, not that great. I, you know, I always say this. I had some people in my life. I had a teacher that they called me stupid. I had a teacher that called said I wouldn't amount to anything. You know, what what kind of mic drop would that be to write a book? You know, and then on top of that, to write a book about about teaching specifically. And so, uh, my big push on this, and this is to answer the the question in part two, is my hopes in the book is this: I want to have teachers so often with teaching in the world of education. Teachers kind of think like the the culture and the climate of my school stops at the threshold of my principal's door, and it, and it stops, and my influence stops at the footsteps of my door as a as a classroom teacher, and that's so not true. And I think so many times people are trying to get this answer of like, how do you make a school better? How do you make a school better? And obviously, it takes a lot of different pieces. So this book is not to say you as a teacher can completely revolutionize your school by yourself. That's not possible, but your influence can be felt and should be felt throughout the entire school building. You have kids in that school that the things that you do and the things that you say and how you do the how you do these things should influence people outside of your room and that and you should and you can be the driving force of school culture in a lot of ways. Like obviously it takes a lot of pieces to the puzzle. It takes a great principal, it takes a other great leadership. You know what I mean? And and it's also it takes a lot of great teachers. But that influence needs to spread throughout the school. And, and, and in the way to do that is through implementing small things from student engagement, you know what I mean? Getting kids sucked into your classroom and hyped about some lessons that you're doing and looking at things differently, looking at things like, all right, this is how it was done before. How can I take it to the next level with something small? A lot of times people think like this whole book is about like, you know, you got to be the greatest teacher on the planet or you got to think of something that's never been thought of before. You got to recreate the engine. No, you don't. Or, or like, for example, like, you know, when you're driving a car, I always say this, like, you know what I mean? The, you got to you gotta build the car from the ground up. Nah, man, the steering wheel's there. Just put it in the car. Think of it. Think of something a little bit differently and start turning the wheel and drive that sucker. You know what I mean? Like uh, you mentioned uh, the bingo game, you know, human bingo. Taking a worksheet that would, you would put on a desk and do bingo review and all of a sudden put some tape on the floor and have kids be the bingo pieces. And all of a sudden they're moving around the room having fun. And that's all about the book, man. Like engaging kids in the classroom, building amazing relationships with kids, how teachers can form community partnerships and, and bring in the outside world, man. There's so many companies that want to get involved in school and, and it's our job to go out and reach out to them and what we can do and how we can empower our school and our students with that. And then finally, just the contagious environment that we create in our classroom and in our school by bringing energy and being throughout the school. And, and I say this all the time, man, like, you know, you don't teach every single kid, but every kid's your kid. And every single kid in that building should know who you are. You know what I mean? They should they should know who you are. They should know of your name because you you are as as much as you can in everything possible. And you are and you are trying to influence every grade level, not just your classroom, not just your grade level. And that's what next level teaching is all about. Small, simple things that you can do. Small, simple things like walking in the hallways. And checking on passes and kids taking five minutes out of your playing time, going and checking in on subs um, instead of sitting down during lunch duty, walking around, sitting down with kids you don't, might not normally talk to and like start talking sports or talking music. You know what I mean? Going to events, 
Um, even if you don't have time to go to an event, how can you how can you still impact kids? Well, on your way out the door, stop into a couple after school tutoring sessions to say, hey, what's up, guys? How you doing? What you learning about? And just those small things. And that's what it's about. And I think that's why this book is so powerful. It's small things that you can do to just impact the world around you, impact the culture of the school, impact your classroom, and ultimately be that teacher. I always say that, that teacher that you knew when you were a kid, that we always remember having that teacher that shaped our influence on education. Whether we loved school or hated school, we had that teacher that we loved. And this is just another book to read and then take a little bit from it, maybe adapt a little bit, and then you know think about how you can, how you can already increase the amazing amount of work that we already do in the classroom. So awesome. So good. Well, John, let's keep that going. I want to play a clip from a tweet that you have pinned to the top of your Twitter feed right now, and it's going to give the listeners more of a taste of your message. And then I'll follow that up with one more question on this whole topic of relationships. If my daughter's in the front row of my classroom, how am I going to treat her? I want a teacher. I want her kindergarten teacher last year. I want her to, when she walks in, I care about all the academic stuff right away. Do you love her? Will you advocate for my daughter? Will you empower my daughter? Will you treat her like you would treat your own daughter? And most of all, the number one thing I wanted for my daughter and my wife wanted for our daughter, and we got it, was we had a kid who was afraid to go to school, didn't want to go to school, was crying when she had to go to kindergarten. By the end of the very first couple of days, she, we said, what do you think? And she goes, Daddy, I cannot wait to go back to school tomorrow. That's your job. Forget the instruction. That's all part of it, too. But at the end of the day, your job is to create an environment in your classroom where your kids feel empowered. You got kids that have nobody in your life, in their life. You are that person. You're the person that needs to say that you're proud of them because they've never heard that or they haven't been told they were loved. You have to give them a hug. You have to tell them it's okay because that's what they're searching for. They're not looking at you saying, help me at fractions. They're not going to work hard at fractions because they love fractions. They're going to work hard at fractions because they love you. Now, what are you willing to do next week? Powerful stuff. I'm getting chills here. So... Let's talk more about that. And I want to speak specifically to those teachers who feel like I've tried, John, I've tried to reach those kids and maybe there's some kind of a disconnect, some resistance. The kids aren't buying what I'm selling. What's your advice? Where can they go in 2020? Dude, that's a great question. And kind of going back on that quote there, there's a couple different answers I would give to those teachers. And that's this, man. Like, first of all, think of it like this, like I just said. Think of it like your kids in the front row, front row, back row, middle row, side row, standing out in the hallway, whatever it is. Think of it like every kid in that room is your kid. How would you respond if it was your kid? And then all of a sudden you start thinking like that. You start kind of second guessing or at least thinking a little bit more deeply about your responses. Also, you start thinking deeply about how you instruct your classes. Like what kind of instruction do you want to provide your kid? You know what I mean? What kind of levels of, of rigor do you want your kid to see? You know, in that quote, I I talked about like, you know, forget the instruction. That's all part of it, too. You know, at the end of the day, you have to build relationships with these kids where they feel empowered. Well, it's all part of it. But the most the biggest part of what I think would help teachers is under the understanding that you're going to create great levels of instruction because that's all part of it, too. What are you doing to build those relationships? And I would think of a couple of things like this. I wrote in my book about something where I, t- I call it, a lot of teachers called it throwaway minutes. You know, if a kid is struggling to build relationships with you, it's probably because there's something in their, in their backdrop and their, in their history, whether it be with family at home, whether it be with education in general, where they have a wall put up and it's our job to tear that wall down. And that's what you got to think about. And you got to think like, <clears throat> all right, well, this approach didn't work. So how can I change it up? 
And one of the things that I do is with throwaway minutes, like I'll build connections with kids because they'll like my classroom because I just did something different that no one else has done. And I'll even mention, I'll be like, how many times do you have teachers that have you do whatever? You know what I mean? And one of the videos I posted on Twitter was the very first week of school. Um, I'm a firm advocate in routines, 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 setting the standards, setting the bar, but also getting kids to love school. And that's what it is. Like, how are you making school fun for that kid? You know what I mean? And if you're and if you're struggling to build a relationship or tear down a wall where a kid is put up, what are you doing to make school fun for that kid? So, for example, for me, my wife gave me the idea. I'm not going to pretend like I took it or I, I created it. But she said, um, st- do this game where you stack cups and then you put note cards in between each cup and then you and then you pull the note card out. And if the and if the tower of cups continues to drop, but stays, you know, stays up then the game continues. And if the whole tower, fa- I call it tower of terror. If the whole tower falls over, then you start over and you go one-on-one and you have the kids playing each other at tables and then, and then have them play you. And I was like, yeah, the last 10 minutes, that's what I'll do. And so we were doing that. And like, all of a sudden kids were like, just sucked into this game. And teachers are like, well, those are throwaway minutes. I got to instruct, instruct, instruct. I was like, you know what? I'll throw away 30 minutes today to gain over an hour next week of not just instruction, but focused instruction. Right. My kids are locked in because they're like, man, this teacher's, uh, this teacher's cool, man. I like what he's doing in here. You know what I mean? And then another approach too is like, think of all the, the, one of the most powerful connecting points for building relationships with kids who aren't buying in, in the classroom is what are you doing with them outside the classroom? Mm. You know, I'll have a kid all the time. And this happens to me all the time where all the kid who's just like straight up, like, not interested in what I'm selling. I'm not going to lie. I don't connect with every kid either. <laughs> you know what I mean? None of us do, but that doesn't mean we don't stop trying. And so I'll hit the kid up on the, in the hallway, like on the slide, like on that, you know, not, not in front of like 50 kids going, Hey, what's up? Like that doesn't work. I'll walk over and be like, Hey man, like, uh, you know, I see you got, you know, a pair of basketball shoes on, you play sports or I see they got a Fortnite t-shirt on You play video games or a young lady who like, I'm just not connecting with. And I just noticed like something that she says, I'll listen to their conversation. They have no clue I'm paying that close of attention, but dude, I'm like, I'm like locked into everything. Like they think I'm looking down the hallway to see if a kid's goofing around. Like I'm paying attention to what they're saying, what they're wearing, everything, anything and everything's on the table for me to, I'll, I'll turn over every rock possible to make a connection with a kid. You know what I mean? And if it doesn't work, then I'll move on to the next thing that I can do or say, whether it's a lesson plan idea, whether it's tying in another teacher to try and figure it out or whether it's building a relationship through trying to figure out their interest, man, their interest. If you want a kid to, if you want a kid to appreciate you in a way that they don't normally appreciate teachers, try to find what their interests are and then hone in on that. Kids will talk about their interests all day. And I always say this too, like use, use uh, the hallways in the lunchroom as an opportunity. Walk around, find that, find that kid, go sit down be like, Hey man, what's up? What you doing this weekend? You know, what you interested in? Blah, 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 blah. All of a sudden they start having conversations with you. It's not education. They're like, Whoa, this teacher is actually talking to me about like video games or sports or music or, you know, the, the albums that I like to listen to, man, this dude's cool. I like this person or this lady, you know what I mean? So all of a sudden now they're locked in. Next thing you know, they're going to be like totally focused in classroom and anybody that's not focused and be like, yo, shush, this is my favorite teacher. <laughs> and, and, and honestly, yeah. like that's that to me, that's, that's the thing that kind of builds that, that bridge between teacher and student is finding that interest. So if it doesn't work with an, engagement in the classroom and you and it doesn't even have to be like something like throwaway minutes just think of a way that you can take something that normally is pretty dry and boring and then spice it up and all of a sudden now they're like oh this class is dope love this class or how you can connect with them outside the classroom or go to their games or go to their events and they're like oh man this teacher does stuff that like man maybe even my family members don't do you know what i mean 
And there's a lot of power in that. So much power in that. Wow. Awesome stuff. Thank you, John. Well, as you look across your PLN, John, and your own practice, is there something else that is setting you on fire? We've talked a lot about relationships. We've talked about taking it to the next level with kids. What else is really pumping you up in education today? Dude, this is going to sound so silly because <laughs> it actually started at my school. But one thing that I'm fired up about, and this is one of my, and you mentioned like a video of me doing push-ups with kids and things. One thing that I'm really hyped about, and I'm loving the fact that like the world is kind of like catching fire on this idea is this idea of there's a company called Teacher Fit that creates a fitness, it's a, it's a health and wellness program for teachers. And love it. And I just love it. Uh, yeah, I just love it. And here, and here's the whole like really quick, like get up around it. Like at first I was like, what is this? And then I got locked in because I'm a big fitness guy myself. But like, you know, I was kind of like, well, I work out on my own, you know, blah, blah, blah. Like, do I, do I need this? And uh, so first of all, the cool thing is it's a cheap program for an entire school. So it's wicked cheap, like less, it's like 500 bucks. I think our school bought it for the entire staff for the entire year. It was, it, I mean, it's like a dollar a person for a month is nuts. And you have access to everyday workouts, right? So if you're working out, you know, you feel healthier, you feel better, you feel better about yourself. All of a sudden now you got more energy in the classroom. You got, you just feel more positive with kids and all that stuff, right? So there's that. But the other thing I love about it, and I utilize this for, is I'm big on mentoring and I'm big on finding any avenue, like I just said, any avenue to get a kid locked in, right? So, and I, and I work with a lot of the restorative practice uh, in our school. And so working with kids that, you know, sometimes get in a little bit of trouble. And, and sometimes I have kids that just want to hang out with me after school and they like, they're like straight A kids who never get in trouble. And they're like, hey, Mr. Allsharm, can I hang out with you after school? Yeah, let's go. And so what I do is I use Teacher Fit. And some of the workouts that I learned on Teacher Fit, and sometimes I'll just like play Teacher Fit after school, and I'll work out with the kids. <laughs> so I actually posted, yeah, I actually posted a video, and I had while we were working out, we're running through the hallways doing stairs before we get to the gym to do our Teacher Fit part of the workout. And I have kids that are like, Mister, like they're they're saying it to me as we're running by, Mister Alshimer, can I work out with you tomorrow? You know, Mister Alshimer, what are you what are you doing? And I'm like, T even teachers, man, I had teachers that were like, Yo. Can we work out with you too? So next thing you know, I got more kids joining in. I got more kids coming in. I got teachers that want to get involved. And I think that's something that teachers should really gravitate towards. I've been preaching it. I've been preaching it since I got involved in the program myself, just like get my own login and working out. I'm like, you can look at something like this. That's next level teaching, man. Look at something that's that you can utilize and take any situation to the next level. You know, you can stop your class in the middle of class and go, all right, five minute brain break. Let's do some whatever, what's the workout of the day? Let's do the workout of the day for like five minutes, you know, turn it on or you've already done it that day. So you already know what the workouts are and you can say, okay, we're going to do squats and jumping jacks. And we're going to say boys versus girls or this table versus this table. Who can do more? How do you mark set go? And all of a sudden kids are excited just because you're having a competition to have fun. You know what I mean? And you're building relationships in a way that's not school related. And I think that's key, man. Kids want to build relationships with teachers. That's not always about facts and numbers on a whiteboard, chalkboard or whatever. And so this provides you an opportunity for that. Teacher fit and student fit, it sounds like. I love it. And absolutely, there's a there's such a strong connection between the physical, the mental, the emotional, right? We've got to make sure we are properly centered ourselves to deliver our best. You know, it's funny, I teach eighth grade and lately they've been connecting at Brain Breaks uh, with the some of the just dance videos on youtube i just throw out yeah. like one direction yeah. or you know some yeah. of these some of these videos my class goes nuts for those and uh, which is pretty refreshing because usually at eighth grade it's you know you've got a good number that are too cool for school but 
Now this group is pretty fun. So if you're out there looking for a brain break idea, check it out and uh, and jump on Just Dance on YouTube. <laughs> that's awesome. I love it. What I was going to say was that, man, like that's what I'm saying. Like use anything possible and you can always mix it up and just talk like Just Dance. Like again, like you're just like, all right, let's have some fun today. And what, as you said, with eighth graders, like I teach seventh grade, whether it be eighth grade, seventh grade, high school, whatever it is, like those kids kind of sometimes are like, man, I'm too cool for school. You start, you start thinking like, all right, let's just put our guard down a little bit and have a goofy time. And then you do it with them, you know, but in a professional sense, not in like a, I'm their age level sense, but in a professional sense, they're like, oh, this is kind of cool. I'm going to, I'm going to do this too. We'll see how it goes. The next thing you know, man, kids are on fire for just having fun. And then you shut it down and you're like, all right, now it's time to start our new activity. And all of a sudden there's way more collaboration, way more talking. Like there's so many studies that say like, you know, whether it be teacher fit or, you know, just dance on YouTube or whatever you're doing for your brain break um, or, or for your activity. There's so many studies that show like just a little bit of movement and get up and, and moving around gets kids brains like fired up. And then all of a sudden they're way more locked in for learning. And again, man, that's next level teaching, just taking, just taking an inside the box, normal idea and just using an outside the box approach. And a lot of people already do it, but everybody does it differently. And it, and to their own success. And it's amazing to see that. And amazing to hear that. Dude, I'm going to steal your idea. I'm going to start using it this week. You got to try it, man. You got to try it. But no, I, I love seeing you running through the halls with your boys there and, and cranking out push-ups. Man, that was pumping me up. So I got to <laughs> look at you. doing that too. Well, John, every school asks its teachers, it seems like, to set a professional goal for the year. So if you can recall what yours was back in September, share that with us or... Or, or maybe tell us about a project that you're currently working on. Is there another book in the works? <laughs> you know what, man? I'm about to finish the first one. So you know <laughs> what I mean? I'm, I'm going to say not necessarily another book in the works quite yet, although my wheels are always turning. Um, yeah, I, I would say so. Uh, my professional goal this year is, you know, it's just different, man. For me, it's about for me, it's about actually reaching outside the classroom. So in terms of like big projects and things like that. I'm just trying to focus on extending my influence with kids, um, extending my influence with kids. So getting out and uh, speaking in as many schools as I can, I'm, I'm heading out to, uh, as soon as January hits, I'm all over the place. And I'm heading to a couple schools in Texas. I'm heading to a school in Kansas. And those, and those, aren't, those aren't teacher related. Um, those are student related. And uh, I got a whole bunch of those lined up for 2020. And whereas, you know, it, I, I like it because it's also – something that helps me in the classroom too. You know, um, it's something where a lot of speakers kind of shy away from because it's a volatile spot. You don't know what you're walking into with teachers. You know, they're going to sit there and listen with students, man, you got to entertain them. You got to grasp them. You got to tell real great stories. And for me, it just kind of keeps me locked in on what I do on a daily basis already, but on a grander scale. And then the impact, the impact that I have as a teacher um, just can be felt more nationwide, worldwide, whatever, wh whatever you want to call it. And every time I go and speak uh, to students, um, I get all these amazing social media uh, DMs. And like, I'm not gonna lie, dude, like, I'm not gonna lie, me and my wife were in tears one, one night, we were reading through a whole bunch of them. Mm. And just, you know, kids going through struggles and things like that. And, um, and I share my struggles, I share my struggles with them, because and I share that, no one cares if you had a silver spoon stuck in your mouth your whole life and everything was perfect. They care about what you have to overcome. And so a lot of my message is about, you know, effort, maximizing effort, but then overcoming adversity. And then how can you impact the people around you 
and kids, all these messages are like, man, I never looked at it this way. Or I always say like, you're being groomed for something special because you're being put through something difficult. And, and it's just for me, you know, as a, in terms of the profession, it's just continuing that influence and getting better at that, getting better at that and getting better at that means I'm going to only be better within the classroom. Mm. Cause it's a grander scale to a smaller scale. And I'm just really excited about what the future holds and the possibilities for um, kids. And I know that no matter where I go and speak, there's always, you know, no matter how well or not well the story or message is received, there's always a few kids there that are locked in and they just, they need to hear it they're at that moment. Like I might be the person that shares a message with them that, you know, might save, honestly, this sounds kind of cliche, but might save their life. You know what I mean? So I had a, I had a kid at, Quick story, I had, a, I had a kid at one school that was there to drop out that day, like no lie. And I didn't even know about it. And the secretary came up and said, he actually showed up today to drop out. And then she came up to me afterwards in tears. And she said, he told me at the end of the day that he's not going to drop out. He's going to give it a go. And I was like, <laughs> I'm not going to lie, dude. I teared up too. It was not to sound kind of cheesy, but I was just, you know. It's life changing. So that's what it's yeah. all about for me. Outside of education, John, what's another area of learning for you? What is it that ignites your passions outside of the classroom and brings you alive as a human being? (laughs) Dude, I'm all about just getting out there and living life, brother. Like, that's me. Like, that's been me since I was a kid. Um, And that's me now. I tell my students all the time, I think one way I gravitate a whole bunch of kids towards me and they really get sucked into my messages um, in my classroom or when I go speak anywhere is I say this, I go, listen, what are you doing? Like, what are you doing? You know, I want to do stuff in life and I, and I want to, I want to experience life. And the worst thing for me is to get to the end of my road and think, what if, or why didn't I, you know, not crazy things that are like, you know, bad, but like experiencing life, visiting places, going places for me, like I've, I'm, I mean, I got a laundry list of things I still want to do, but you know, you know, climbing mountains, whitewater rafting, um, skydiving, cage fighting, like there's (laughs) no. Yeah, dude. Like it's, it's everything, man. I've done, I've done all those things and I plan on doing so much more, man. I got something on my bucket list. I want to do shark cage diving Ooh. next. Like I want to do Like, I just want to, I'm, I, I'm just filled with this whole, like, um, I want to experience life in the best of ways and I want to be the best person I can be. And I'm not going to be the best person I could be sitting on the couch. Mm. You know what I mean? And there's a, there's an element of balance there where like, you can't do that all the time. You know what I mean? You got to relax sometimes. There's days where I've crashed on the couch, but like I, in terms of my life, like I want to, I want to be able to tell my kids and my grandkids stories. And that, so that's me. That's my passion outside of the world of education. I just want to go out and do things and experience life and have fun. Take my, even my life to the next level, brother. And then I, you know, the best part about it is that all that stuff I can then tie right back into the classroom. And it's amazing how you can take a skydiving situation or whitewater rafting where you got flipped over and you know it's crazy rapids and you're like trying to survive or climbing a mountain and all these different things that I've done. Um, even cage fighting where I've used all these different stories in my classroom to build my kids up, build relationships and related to content and instruction, dude. It's crazy. So that's what I love to do, man. That's my passion outside the classroom. You got to tell me more about this cage fighting. What, did, <laughs> like, how does how does a, a an MMA fighter fit into the classroom? So, like, is this something you played around with for a while? Is it something you still do? What does that look like? So I still, so I still train MMA. Um, I, and so this is how it went down, dude. This is the story that I kind of tell. It's the quick version, right? Sure. 
So my wife, I've always had a passion for like the UFC mixed martial arts and all that stuff. So I told my wife and my wife is very much against all that stuff. And I'm not, and honestly, I'll be honest with you. Like when I share these stories in my class, I say this, like I've never, I've never had a fight outside the cage. Um, I've never had a fight outside of training. Um, Ever. And I, and I always think that people that people that are fighting in the streets, they feel like they got something to prove. I got nothing to prove. I got nothing to prove. So that's not what I'm going to do. And I share that story with my boys, especially they need to hear that the young men. And they really they really like to hear that from me because I fought in a cage. So you have a cage fighter that's saying don't fight outside of school. Don't fight anywhere. Right. So anyway, the, the story goes, I, I always wanted to I always wanted to have I always wanted to be a fighter. And uh, my wife was like, no, 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 no. Well, she was gracious enough to let me have one go because I was like, Got to live life one time. You know what I mean? So what the, what the story that I tell is this, like just in everything that I do, you know, bring in, I brought a UFC fighter to my school. We made connections with, you know, national brands with my school. And it was literally just me reaching out, doing things. I share all that stuff in my book and I share this story in my book too. I reached out, I got a fight and I was like, you know what? Let's just not have any fight. I'm never comfortable with just the bacon, the basics. I always say like the only limitations are the ones you put on yourself. So I was like, listen, let's make it like a main event. Let's make it this. Let's make it that. Next thing you know, I had a title fight. I'd never fought. I had a title fight against the two-time middleweight champion with over 16 fights. I'd never fought. And not only that, we were the main event, which means we were the last fight, the most important fight on the card where everybody's there to see me. And on top of that, I had reached out and I got sponsors companies that sponsor UFC champions were sending me free gear that I was wearing when I was training and I was wearing it in the fight and all this different stuff. And of course, you know, the, it was a great, it was a great contest. Uh, one fight a night, I ended up losing. I was winning for a while and then I didn't win. But the story I tell is that I wrap it around the idea of, I could have been like the first fight on the card and wearing some basketball shorts. And instead I can't live life like that. And I kind of challenge my students and I challenge staff members and I challenge people like, you know, I could have just been okay with this, but I'm not okay with that. I want to look at things like outside the box and I want to bring in the best things that I can in my life. And I went from being, you know, this nothing fight on this card to all of a sudden the fight championship fight with sponsors. I shouldn't have had any of that, but I had it all because I refused to live life any other way. And similarly, like in our classrooms and similarly in our lives as students, you know, you can be okay with whatever you got, or you can just push it to the max, expect to hear the word no a few hundred times, but keep, keep fighting for what you want in life and you will get it. You will get it. And I have more than enough examples of that in my life. What an awesome story. I absolutely love that. And I'm glad <laughs> yeah, I asked. That's, uh, that is phenomenal. What a, an experience to be able to share with your kids. Yeah. I know for me, I've had a history of shoulder dislocation, so I would be absolutely terrified to <laughs> jump in the ring. <laughs> yeah, uh, just crazy. Just what might happen, but uh, that's phenomenal. That's definitely a first on the show. <laughs> well, John, what, one more question before we get into our quick picks. Can you tell us about a personal habit or a productivity hack that cr- contributes to your success and allows you to get it all done? I mean, you mentioned you're a teacher, an author, a dad, and all of these other roles and capacities in your life. How do you balance them all? How do you maintain productivity? That's a great question. Um, man, it's a great question. And every time I talk about kind of my my professional story, everybody's like, how do you do it? And, um, it comes with a couple of different answers here. Number one, um, number one, I have an, uh, I have a, I'm going to use Hamish Brewer's word. (laughs) Here you go, brother. Relentless. I have a relentless drive. I have a relentless drive inside me to always push and, and, and just look for ways to, um, 
help people make an impact, do more. Um, so naturally, and that's been something that, that's something that I don't think, um, is always as profound as it can be later in life. I think it's something that is, you know, it's in you, or even if it's not like you groom that over the course of your life. So when I go and talk to kids and I talk to kids in my classroom, I say, listen, you need to groom this idea of hard work and effort and drive within you. So I've been grooming it my whole life and I've been doing, and I failed a lot and that's okay. And then I've succeeded a lot and that's great too. But this idea that I'm always looking for something new to the new challenge, like I'm not okay. Like I said, just sitting on the couch, man, it's time to rise and grind, take it to the next level and live life to the fullest. So there's that. The other thing too, though, is a lot of times. Um, so for example, for me, you know, I'm a, I've, I'm accomplishing my second uh, graduate degree. I've already have one master's degree. I'm, get, I'm getting a second master's. I'll, I'll graduate this spring in educational leadership. Yep. So at the same time, I'm at the same time I'm speaking to teachers at conferences and, and all this different stuff. I'm speaking to students. I'm writing a book. I'm also getting my second master's degree. I'm also a teacher. And so with all that said, I don't get a whole lot of sleep. So with the time that, you know, the other, the other part of it, as you mentioned, balance, like you just got to sometimes take time for yourself. You need to go do something fun, like every once in a while. And my wife is like, my backbone with all of it. Like she tells me when to shut it down for the day and go have some fun or we go out together or we just relax in the, in the house and, and chat and stuff. And, um, you know, I have an amazing family and, and so I have a drive to push harder for my family, my wife and my kids. Um, and I have an amazing wife that helps me balance my life. She tells me, uh, you know, it's kind of funny to say that, but she tells me when to go for it. And she tells me when to, you know, hit the brakes a little bit. And then we go and do fun things. Like yesterday, we literally were just in New York City. You know, we were in New York City for her birthday and we went and saw a show, Wicked. And, you know, we just kind of had fun, like bouncing around the city. And now we're back and, and we're getting ready, um, doing different things here. So, you know, as teachers, it's important to push, 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 but it's also important to, to um, work harder. I mean, so, sorry, work smarter, not harder. You know, and I do that too, like when I'm teaching, when I'm, when I'm looking at lesson plans, again, next level teaching, not to push the book again, but this is why next level teaching is so awesome is because it, you know, it's not about spending hours on Pinterest or hours on teachers pay teachers blowing your, you know, all your bank account, like trying to figure out the next and greatest and doing all this different stuff. Like at the end of the day, you know, there's going to be new programs, new technology, new this, new that, but you are the greatest piece of technology in that classroom. And your ability to look out the outside the box and take something small and just kind of mix it up a little bit. Something simple is what makes your classroom that much better. And it doesn't have to be something where you spent hours on it. So that's what I try to do as a teacher. You know what I mean? So it's all about, it's all about working smarter. It's all about relaxing and getting, you know, a little bit of a break here and there when you need it and, and don't overexert yourself and make sure, make sure you surround yourself with great people. I surround myself with the best. I got Hamish Brewer. I got great teachers. I got you know, the most amazing, most amazing teacher helped me out. And I got an amazing family. I got my PLN is legit. Um, and my wife is just always right there. So, and, and she means the world to me and she really helps me out. So what a great bundle of advice. And I think especially of rookie or inexperienced teachers, I think back to the early years in my career where I put in those long, long hours in the classroom, stayed long after the last bell and just working and designing worksheets or whatever I was doing. And it was just, you know, sometimes I think we, I love the part about working smarter, not harder, because sometimes we invest so much time on activities that really have a poor ROI. And so sometimes it is about finding those efficiencies and maybe rethinking an activity 
there's another expression out there. I'm not going to get it right, but we want students to be working harder than we are during the learning, right? And if the teacher is is doing all of the work, then maybe something's wrong with that dynamic. So what a good bundle of advice. And again, you, you know, you mentioned taking a break with your wife in New York City to see Wicked. I like that too, because I'm headed there. I'm headed there in a few days and we are seeing Frozen. So oh, that, yeah, yeah, great. I, I have to, <laughs> I have to suffer through that. But in exchange, my wife has to suffer through a Rangers game. So, awesome. you know, it, it goes both ways. It goes Dude, both balance, ways. man, balance. <laughs> That's right. <laughs> well, let's get into your quick picks, John. And here we want to know the education voices and resources that are shaping your practice and inspiring your thinking today. So real quick, give us one or two for each of these, starting at Twitter. And I know this is a tough one. Tell us about someone we need to follow there and share why they've been inspiring you lately. <laughs> I mean, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not going to lie. Like I kind of, I think that this kind of goes without being stated, but one of the people that just inspires me tremendously. Um, and, and, and I'd imagine that most people are already following this gentleman is, is Hamish Brewer. He's uh, you know, I got to throw his name in there because he is my principal. Um, he's inspired me in a lot of ways um, in terms of getting involved in, and speaking and things like that. So, um, you know, and just, I love what he's done at our school. And so, you know, his message of just changing the game of ed- in education is so legit, man, real work, real results. And the, the, and I got to mention his name simply because he legitimately is doing something that I've also thought that's why we connected so well when we first met, because we are so similar in, in that way. Like, looking at education differently. It's not, you know, the traditional stuff's got to go. And um, just the whole, I feel like the whole realm of education is kind of gravitating towards that message now. And I got to give props to that because without, without him shedding light on, you know, the fact that things can be done differently, you can look differently, you can talk differently, you can do this, you can do that. As long as if it's good for kids, it's good for education. And as long as kids are learning and kids are loving school, then it's something that should be done. And uh, so I got to give him props, man. No, for sure. My principal sat our staff down in August, day one, and he wanted to read from Hamish's book. Hamish is a pretty cool dude. All heart, absolutely. Yeah. Point us to an ed tech tool, John, that you currently love using in your classroom or your professional practice. We haven't talked a whole lot about technology, but is there something that is really engaging your kids these days? Dude, I'm going to throw something out there that's totally random and totally, you know, just I think it's something that people are like, wait a minute, what? I, one thing that I like to use in my classroom it, it, periodically during different um, projects is the use of, and you can u- use this in a lot of different ways, and this is going to sound funny, but iMovie. This is a tech tool that like you, where kids are creating their own footage, and it's one of the ways I make all my videos that I post on Twitter, but I had kids that were, they don't want to do a presentation. Well, all of a sudden, you have them record it on iMovie and chop it up and have some fun. Um, all of a sudden, they're engaged in that actual presentation. Whereas before they're like, all right, like five seconds before they get up, all right, what are we going to say? Whereas now they're like scripting it and all that stuff. Um, they're creating projects or whatever they're doing, research papers, all these different things. And they can, they can use iMovie as a way to build a story. And uh, they really get sucked into it, man. I'm telling you, it's like as, as normal as that might be, like it's just an app on your phone and you can put an app on an on a iPad kids are just like, oh man, this is so cool. I can cut it and edit it. And all of a sudden there's a, there's a passion for education that with certain kids that like you just didn't see the day before. And all of a sudden they're utilizing something so small like iMovie and they're like sucked in. 
to a project that maybe they they don't necessarily love the content, but they love the idea of what they're doing. So now all of a sudden they love the content. Right, right. And to all the Chromebook schools out there, WeVideo is a great alternative, but absolutely iMovie is, is so user-friendly. Yeah. Love that one. Now, has there, let's talk about books for a moment. Has there been a book, John, that has really impacted your life, either personally or professionally or both? Or is there one that you've just been reading lately that you'd like to recommend? Yeah, man, I'll throw, I'll throw two out there. I'd say like in terms of the world of education, first of all, I like to, when I read, I read to learn. So, um, you know, naturally in terms of education itself, I got to mention um, Relentless from Hamish Brewer, of course, because not only did, uh, not only is he my boss and I can vouch 100% for the fact that everything he writes in there is legit. Um, it's not just words on paper. It's legitimately actions that you see every day in the hallway. But it's a game changer for leaders. It's a game changer for teachers. I suggest 100% purchasing that book. Um, not only did and 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 I and I wholeheartedly love that book so much. Not only did I get a chance to be a guest writer in that book, I wrote two pieces in that book, but I also endorsed that book for him uh, because I believe in it so much. And you can see the world of education is really sucked into that one. The, another one that I read that's that's not education related, um, but I loved it. Is um, I love. I love uh, service members in the in the military, probably naturally because I'm a history teacher. So I read a book, uh, Leadership Lessons of the Navy SEALs. And, you know, it's, it's a book that talks about, um, you know, leadership lessons of the Navy SEALs, but it relates so well to so many different aspects in life, especially education and leading a school and then leading a classroom. You can take, you can take so much of this book and you can go, man, I can use this idea in my classroom, or I can use this idea when I'm dealing with teachers, or I can use this idea when I'm dealing with a struggling student or, or an angry student, you know what I mean? So there's so much in this book that like when I read it, I was reading it more just for, you know, natural knowledge of leadership ability. But then I was like, man, you know, I'm going through my, I'm going through my degree to be a principal. I can use so much of this when I take over my own school. And, and actually, as I kept reading it, I was like, man, I could use this right now in my classroom. And I have, and I have. So it's a great book. Is that another Jocko Willink book or is that by someone else? Jeff Cannon. So Jeff Cannon. Okay. Yeah. Cool. Now, John, speak to Teachers on Fire Nation right now about another podcast they need to subscribe to. Have you got one that is really inspiring you? So there's a there's a new push for if you've ever heard of Justin's Renaissance. Justin's Renaissance is pushing out a new series uh, for podcasts. That's a good one. Teacher Fit, like I just mentioned, how much I love them. They have a podcast as well. But I suggest in general just listening to as many as you can because you know I, I have a long commute, <laughs> so I listen to I listen to a lot of them, dude. And uh, and so what what I like to do is I like to I really like to listen and try, and try to like just gain some insight from every single one that I listen to. John, last question just for fun. Talk to us about what you're watching on Netflix these days. We are on the holidays. Or if you want to take it there, tell us about your all-time favorite Christmas movie. Dude, great questions. So, man, I'm totally lame. When you want to talk about balance, here you have a guy jumping off of, you know, planes and all this crazy stuff, cage fighting, and I'm watching Disney stuff on, on Netflix. Oh, yeah. Man. I'm watching little kid stuff, man. So I got two little girls, one that's almost seven and one that's two and a half. So, yeah, whenever we flick on Netflix, dude, it's all about, you know, just little kid stuff, which I love. That's part of my balance, you know what I mean? But favorite Christmas movie of all time, that's a tough one. I got to go with my all-time favorite with Kevin McAllister, Home Alone 2, Lost in New York. That movie's legit. It's awesome, man. I'll tell you what. I still remember when I was a kid, like when 
Um, he was throwing bricks off the top of the building and hitting uh, Marv in the face with those bricks. <laughs> I was <laughs> laughing so hard. I was in tears, man. So, yeah, I love that. I love that movie. Not only that, um, we kind of we kind of have uh, our seven-year-olds just started watching Home Alone 1 and Home Alone 2. Of course, there's a couple of words in there I got to cough through. But other than that, um, she loves him, man. She loves him. She's setting up traps in the house. We're replaying Home Alone, you know, the part where she's, you know, having me walk on stuff and getting hurt. And it's great, man. So phenomenal Christmas movie. Good picks, John. Well, for all of the listeners interested in your message and wanting to connect with Next Level Teaching and and just hear more about what you are putting down, what are the best ways for the listeners to follow you? Absolutely. So um, on Twitter, at Mr. Alshimer, on Instagram, at Mr. Alshimer, and stay tuned, Next Level Teaching um, by uh, Dave Burgess Consulting coming out in February. It's going to be awesome. And uh, just excited to get that out there. If you're if you're interested in having me come speak, hit me up with a DM. Um, and uh, yeah, like I just so many things happening, so many things going on. And I love to hear from people. I love to hear about what you're doing in your classroom. So feel free to, if you're doing something that's next level in the classroom, tag me or hashtag uh, next level teaching so I can see it. And uh, let's stay connected and let's learn from each other. Sounds good, John. Again, thank you so much for sharing your time with the podcast today. It's been a pleasure to connect and get a better sense of what you are all about. Can't wait to see Next Level Teaching on the shelves. Take care and have an amazing 2020. Awesome. You too. You too. Thank you. Well, just before we sign off today, I'd like to share some highlights from around the Teachers on Fire community this week. First up on Twitter, where AJ Bianco at AJ Bianco tweeted, had such a great conversation today with at D Crinus, that's Dan Crinus, and at Mr. KV, of course, that's me. We talked podcasting creation and goals for the new year. Really excited to watch Leader of Learning Podcast and at Teachers on Fire continue to grow in 2020. Hashtag PLN, hashtag podcasters breakfast. Hashtag coffee edu. And of course, AJ is referring to a breakfast that Dan and I shared with him right in the heart of Manhattan earlier this week. And that was fantastic to meet two former guests of the show and hosts of their own podcast in person. So thank you again for the tweet there, AJ. Next up on Instagram, a highlight from that platform, Stephanie Edmonds at class.disruption wrote, yo, you're in my city, enjoy. And on that theme, over on Facebook, George Valenzuela writes, now you're in my old stomping grounds, enjoy. So cool to be here in your backyard, Stephanie and George. Fantastic people to follow. Over on LinkedIn, Jeffrey Frieden wrote, this was a great episode. I'm excited to start using OKRs in school and the side hustle. Thanks for everything you shared, Daniel Evan Bauer. And of course, that conversation goes back a few episodes, but make sure you tune into that one if you are kind of in the process of setting goals for 2020. He talks about OKRs from, I believe, a book called Measure What Matters. And the whole idea there is lining up your objectives with your key results, making sure that you are measuring all of the metrics and the performance indicators that lead toward the realization of your objectives. Well, to everyone else who read, viewed, liked, replied, retweeted, shared, or otherwise engaged with my content on any of these platforms this week, thank you so much from the bottom of my heart. You were the fuel to my fire. 
I also want you to check out the Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium. This week we published pieces by Caitlin Giordano, and you can find her on Twitter at KN Giordano. She wrote two pieces that sort of bookend each other, one called Reflecting on Hashtag One Word 2019, and she followed that up with One Word 2020 Voice. And I should mention that her one word from 2019 was intentional. And she looks back on the year with a kind of a thoughtful reflection, as is the title. Talks about how her practice changed dramatically through the year. It's pretty awesome to read about. So thank you for that, Caitlin. Next up, Debbie Tannenbaum, who's been a regular lately. And you can find her on Twitter at Mrs. B, Wrote a piece called Dreamcatchers Be Real. And this was a book reflection. She read two books, one about everything we need to do by 8 a.m. And that was an interesting list. And then one called Be Real. And of course, that's from Tara Martin. And so Debbie talks about how both books were pretty instrumental in shaping her thinking and changing her perspective heading into the new year. And then also on the magazine, I wrote a piece called The Surprising Power of Circles. And in that post, I talk about the ways that circles are making a difference in my classroom culture and also even in our staff. And I share a story from earlier in the fall where very quickly we got to know each other kind of on a deeper, more intimate level in a matter of 15 minutes just by getting in a circle and sharing some real stuff. So take a look at that. The last post on the magazine comes from Tammy Brightweiser, and you'll find her on Twitter at T-L-B-R-E-I-T. She wrote a piece called Five Education Questions, where she reflects on the five questions that she used to push her professional growth recently. And so make sure you tune in for that one as well. Lots happening on the Teachers on Fire magazine on Medium. And if you're wondering what's going on on Medium or how can you get in touch, how can you connect, you'll find it on Medium.com or on the Medium app. If you're already an education blogger, consider joining our growing writing team there. You can continue to publish content on your own blog and you keep full credit and ownership of your content on Medium. Message me at Teachers on Fire on any social media platform for more details. Well, teachers, I will leave you with this quote from my reading, and it's from a book called Embedding Formative Assessment by Dylan William. That's at D-Y-L-A-N-W-I-L-I-A-M. That's right, single L on that. And he co-authored with another author named Siobhan Leahy. I hope I'm saying that correctly. And the quote reads this way. In general, students seem to find it easier to identify qualities of good work when two pieces of work are contrasted than when they are given a single piece of work regardless of whether it is strong or weak. I'll read that one more time. Let that sink in. In general, students seem to find it easier to identify qualities of good work when two pieces of work are contrasted than when they are given a single piece of work regardless of whether it is strong or weak. I love that quote because it reminds me of the importance of breaking out exemplars of work. And as teachers, I think it's easy to put one great piece of work up on the screen or loading it up on Google Classroom or whatever platform, whatever LMS you might be using. But we need to make sure we're showing students a range. We need to show students uh, the full spectrum of proficiency. And so, again, an amazing book on assessment. It's called Embedding Formative Assessment. 
make sure you take a look at that one if you are thinking about redefining your assessment practices. Well, I'm your host, Tim Cavey, and I want to say that I'm so grateful that you decided to spend some of your day listening to this podcast. I hope that in some way the content you heard today from Jonathan Alzheimer ignited your thinking and inspired your practice as you start the new year. And I'll meet you next week right here on the Teachers on Fire podcast. Take care and have a great week.